Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Well, good morning. Excited to have you here as well. And yes, on the sun is making a comeback. I love it. What weather we've been having this summer. It's allowed us to, to play hard and uh, school's almost back. So it's like these final precious weekends. And thanks for showing hunger for the Lord. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today as we just go after Jesus and really come strongly after him. And, and, and I have a lot of texts to cover today with some amazing thoughts and insights that are going to challenge us. So I hope that you are ready. Uh, called today, uh, who's holding the leash or who's holding your leash and you'll figure out what that's about by the time we get towards the end. Uh, we're in Luke 22. We only have three more weeks in the book of Luke. Kind of insane to think. And then we'll be jumping into some exciting things in the fall. And you do not want to miss next week so that you can hear about that. So anyway, we'll go on. Uh, Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all or to sift all of you as wheat. So let me catch you up. This is Jesus talking. And he's talking to Peter, whose original name was Simon, who Jesus changed his name to Peter. And he's now talking to that dude. But you're going to hear two different names. So let's read that again. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Wow. Think about this. Think about what is happening here. First of all, the big idea for today, prayer makes the difference in you. Prayer makes the difference in you. Jesus is living in this moment here where he is about, and we're going to read about it today, he's about to be taken. He's about to head to the cross. And he is telling one of his key disciples, one of the 12 disciples, in fact, one of the three that's closest to him, hey, you're full on going to deny me, and you're going to turn your back on me. You're going to deny that you know me before a rooster crows. Like, you're being told by your mentor, 
that you're just going to turn your back on him. And you're not only telling him to his face, you're calling him by a name other than that which you've given him. So it's like having a nickname on a sports team, you know, you're going to be killer. I'm going to call you killer, man. You're killer on the court. And then all of a sudden your coach comes up and says, hey, wimp, uh, I want to talk to you for a second. And you're like, what, what, Simon, what do you, what do you, because Simon means blowing reed, blowing reed. That's, I think you have to say it in that tone. And Peter means rock, right? And I just look at that and go, wow. So Jesus is like, hey, Reed, come on over here. What? Jesus, rock, remember? Do you know what I'm cooking? Or however he used to do that. You know, so it's like, it's been a long time since he's wrestled, you know. Do you know what the rock is cooking? He did other motions I won't do. But anyway, so, um, so I'm just having a wrestling moment there with you. But I look at here, and Jesus says this. Yeah, he's confronting Simon's weakest nature. He's telling him what's real. Hey, denial's coming. But this is crazy. These words that mean so much. But I have prayed for you. Just let that sink in for a second. but I have prayed for you. Now, this group has followed Jesus all over the place, and he often gets alone to lonely places and spends one-on-one time with his Father in heaven. They know now this is Jesus, the Son of God. And, and so they're sitting here being told. And, and the you here, by the way, is not just pointing at Peter. It says all of you. It's collective. It's like me saying you, I'm talking to all of you, And he's going, you know, you have been, Satan has asked to sift you as we, he's going to tempt all of us. He's going to come after all of us when in an opportune time, he's like this waiting around a corner, just hoping to stumble us up. And he's going, you, but Jesus still says to every one of us, but I've prayed for you. I don't know, that just... That gives me the courage to go to some places that maybe I just wouldn't go on my own strength. I can rely on the fact Jesus is praying for me. But I have prayed for you. Jesus calls Peter by his old name, and, but I have prayed for you. And then he says that. He just flips it right there in verse 34. Like from verse 31 to verse 34, he goes, I tell you, Peter. So he's like, wait, you're addressing my weak nature and my strong nature. He's really opening up. He's trying to confront the reality of life for Peter. And and so I, I have a thought for you here. Your true faith is demonstrated in your repentance, not in your sinlessness. Your true faith is demonstrated in your repentance not your sinlessness. God is not looking for a sinless world. He knows. In fact, it says none of us are without sin, and if we claim to be without sin, we're without Jesus. So it's like you're not without sin. 
Luke is addressing this moment with great emphasis and with utter importance because he wants the readers to know we all have weaknesses, we all are going to stumble, we're all going to fall. At some point in time, our actions or our words are going to deny Jesus. And Peter plays this foundational piece in the church, and all the readers that Luke is writing this to they know Peter's gone, he's been taken, his life, he's been a martyr for the cause of the gospel. By the time they're reading this, they know that. Jesus is no longer alive. He gave, or Peter is no longer alive. He gave his life, he was crucified upside down because he considered himself unworthy to die like Jesus died. Peter's dead, he's been taken for his faith. So they get this, and they're going, wait, so the Peter who died for his faith denied Jesus like right at this moment, and he's just reminding them, any of you, God can use any of you because you're all going to turn on him someday, but you're all going to come back. But when you return, his repentance was only possible through Jesus' prayer, and through Jesus, his sin would not be his story. Same for you. By putting your faith in Jesus, by choosing to follow Jesus, no longer is your sin, no longer are your weaknesses your story. You can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. What currently defines you does not have to be your legacy. And oftentimes, our sin tries to define us. Make a return story, as Jesus promised Peter, when you turn back. And I am a story of turning back. My life, when I was 21, is when I turned back to God. And so I just look at this. It's not an if. It's not a, you know, Peter, I think there's a chance maybe you'll come back. Jesus didn't say that. Peter, if you come back, I mean... That's my Donald Trump. I can't do that very good. Need my hair grown out. Anyways, you know, it's not, it's not when or if. It's no, you're gonna. It's when, period. When you turn back. It all goes back to perspective. It all goes back to perspective like I shared last week and download the app and listen to the talk. But we must walk out our prayer life for others in a way that sees them turning to or returning to Jesus. So in other words, we mean we got to pray for people until we see them turn to Jesus. We've got to pray for ourselves until we turn back. We've got to pray lest we be tempted, as we're going to read in a second. So let's, let's keep going here. Luke 22, verse 35. We're going to get all the way to verse 62 today, but I'm breaking it up because it's way too long to just read all at once. I would fall asleep probably, and so would you. Here we go. Uh, Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, which is a money bag, 
don't get freaked out, dudes, right? You know, although everywhere else in the world, guys have man purses, and personally, I own one, so don't judge me. Here we go, because uh, I did go to Asia, and it, it caught on real fast for me. Uh, now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, Jesus replies. I'll talk about that in a second. It's kind of a weird teaching. Verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven approached him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep. Exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And Jesus, <laughs> this is just awesome. I'll end it right there. Get up, you'll not fall. Jesus is demonstrating with his disciples present how he was going to defeat temptation. He was going to call on the Father in prayer, right? So he's demonstrating for them how to pray about a stone's throw away, and these guys fall asleep. They just fall asleep. So thought number two, your ability to defeat temptation is in direct proportion to your discipline of prayer. Your ability to defeat temptation is direct proportion to your discipline of prayer. Luke does something in in his recording this that is pretty interesting in verse 35 through 38. Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand that the, uh, you know, by drawing a metaphor, really, he's trying to help them understand that they're about to face persecution like they have yet to face. They've faced persecution, and these guys have been following him and trying to get him to stumble in his words and so that they can take him captive and stuff. But he's going, okay, it's about to shift. Like, this is going to get deadly for all of you to follow me. And he's really trying to stress, pray that you don't fall into temptation because it's going to get ugly. And he, he encourages them that this is going to, you know, this is going to be like a rebellion. They're going to come after you like you're leading a rebellion or whatever. And, and tells them, you went out when you were the 70 and the 12. They've been sent out before by Jesus There was 12 of them at first, and then there were 70 of them. And when he sent them out, they didn't go with any supplies. They just went as twos out from town to town sharing the gospel and had no problem. But now he's saying, you probably want a sword. But he didn't really mean like, go kill people in the name of Jesus. It's a metaphor that he's trying to build for them that it's going to get interesting. It's going to get harder to follow me. It's going to be life ending. And he's trying to draw this picture, and they're like, well, what do you mean? So we already have two swords. Is, is that enough? And he's like, yeah. So obviously, with all of the soldiers coming, they all would have needed swords if they were literally going to go into battle. 
But he draws this metaphor for him, just saying, it's going to get harder to follow me. He was emphasizing that your battles will not be won in physical war, but in spiritual prayer. So he sets up this scene for the Mount of Olives, exactly what's going to happen. And his disciples are praying that they would not fall into temptation, right? That's Jesus' command to them, a prayer we need to still pray today for ourselves, for our friends, because none of us are immune of temptation. We need to be praying for each other. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. So what's tempting you, right? It's easier to pray before you're tempted and experience freedom from falling in sin than after you've given in to sin. Repentance shows your faith, but it's harder than avoidance. Avoidance is easier. You haul less baggage in your life. Don't buy the lie that your temptation is unique to you, that you're the only one facing this, and you just give up. Temptation is common to mankind, Jesus taught. Temptation is common. We're all going to face temptations of all kinds, and they've been the same temptations we're facing for years and thousands of years, and God will still strengthen you so that you can endure it and find a way out. But we have to be prayed up and ready and looking for the way out. If we're just surrendered to the temptation, we're going to give in. Ask Jesus to come into your life and begin to follow him. That's what these disciples did. And that gave them the courage to overcome temptation. So what's tempting you? What's kept you from praying through the temptation and finding the way out? I get that some of you today are not yet following Jesus And so it's not natural to call on him for help. So maybe your first step is to choose to follow him and follow him closely, as we'll talk about in a second. But others have fallen asleep in your your prayer life. You've fallen asleep at the wheel of prayer, I guess you could say. And I hope that just today this passage could be that reminder from Jesus. Wake up. Wake up, disciples. Pray that you'll not be tempted because it's going to come at you. Maybe sin is ravaging those around you and and you're witnessing just the repercussions of the world that we're in and the evil that is present and it's driving you crazy and you're so concerned and you don't know what to do. But this is encouraging us of what to do. Pray. Your prayer makes a difference. Pray that both you will not be tempted and pray for those that are giving in to temptation around you that they'll no longer be tempted, that they'll wake up. Prayer makes a difference. Awaken your prayer life. That's what Jesus is challenging us to do here. As we continue in the story, let's jump back in, verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. So he's waking them up, right? Wake up, guys! that you will not be tempted, and a crowd is coming. So the crowd is coming up. The man who was 
called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with a swords with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. It's not that, isn't that how you ask for permission? Lord, should we do this? You know, it's like um, it, it's kind of a comical scene that we'll we'll pause and enjoy here. But uh, you know, so should should we do this? So they cut off the right ear. But Jesus answered, "No more of this." And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officer of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So how can you not pause and laugh at Peter? Here, because this is, tradition would say it was Peter that swung the sword and totally missed the guy's neck, right? He's a fisherman. He casts a net for a living. Obviously, he doesn't fish with a pole or he would have better aim. And so he swings a sword, discovers that it's heavier probably than he anticipated, and he goes and hits the guy's ear. Total miss. Just skimmed his head, right? And then Jesus, like, heals him, which is pretty cool. And, and, but here's the scene. These guys are asleep. These guys are totally out. And Jesus is being portrayed by Judas, one of the 11. The 11 had to have been wondering the whole night when they're praying and Jesus is like scolding them and trying to wake them back up. They're like, where is Judas? And then they hear the rebellion coming and they go, is that, is Judas kissing Jesus? What's going on? You know, it's just like this weird moment. And they're waking up, and, and they've got sleep in their eye. And I've talked about this before. I've got the gift of sleep. I don't know if you have the gift of sleep, and I relate. Jesus and I connect on this. Um, you know, it, it goes back to when Jesus was in the boat on the water, and the wind and waves were overtaking the boat, and the disciples are panicking, and they think they're going to die. And they say, Jesus, they wake him up. He's sound asleep. And he's like, Jesus has a gift of sleep. Well, he passed that on to his disciples, right? I think. They've got the gift of sleep here. They're falling asleep, it says, in sorrow. But Jesus wakes up and calms the storm. And I talked about how I have the ability to sleep through things that are normally important things you don't fall asleep through. And, uh, and so, you know, random stuff like uh, fire alarms, Strong storms, uh, crying children. Um, actually, I have the ability to go to mid sleep and then back to deep sleep. I kind of I be- couldn't become aware like 1:30 a.m. 911 calls last night. Anyway, so you know things that I can sleep through without really unresting fully. Dana, my wife, if you don't know, is, her name is Dana. She does not have the gift. She's totally not gifted like me. She wakes up to every noise and, uh, and stays awake working till like 3 a.m. in the morning and stuff. You know, so it's like, you know, we just, we have different giftings and I have the gift of sleep. So sometimes my depth of sleep gift frustrates her um, because she'll try to wake me up unsuccessfully, 
right? Uh, uh, or, um, you know, in, I can envision the day of state because Dana will wake me up to take care of a child because she's done it for years in a row, right? And so it's like, it's my turn all of a sudden, and she'll go, honey, can you go? Preston is screaming, and I've been up all night with him. Can you just, and I'm like, oh, it's, it's, bam, I hit a window, you know, I fall over, I stub my toe, I'm like praying to Jesus, that's why I say his name, and making my way through a hall, knock over an iron. I have picked a child up, I won't identify which one of them before that I've done this to, but I've picked a child up to like take him back to bed and totally zoned it, carried him widthwise, bam, right into the door jam. They don't go to sleep real well after that because now they're crying on top of their crying. And they're like, I want mama. She's helped me for five years. What are you doing? Awake. You know, and so you're like, she told me it's my turn to lay down. And then she comes into the room, go back to bed. And then I'm just like, thank you. You know, so I've got the gift. And, uh, but sometimes, so I relate to the disciples because you see here, the, the, envision now, because this is a real story. They've been asleep. He wakes them up. They're falling back asleep. He's like, he can't get them awake. He's like, wake up. Wake up. He comes back to them again. And, and, and they're like, You're, they've got sleep in their eye. They're in that mid-zone of what is happening. Next thing you know, they see torches, Judas kissing Jesus, which would really trip you out waking up to that. And you're like, uh, uh, and, and what do they think? They're like, Jesus just told us to buy swords. And this is the time. Jesus, should we use whack, right? But they're half asleep, so they miss the neck. I'm just thinking that's what happened. That's, in my mind, the scene. And I look at this, and I just go, how easily do we do that with our faith if we fall asleep in our faith? We're just kind of dazed with it, and we make weird spiritual choices. We come out and, and kind of recall what we're supposed to do with our faith, but not know how to apply it, and we'll make some weird statement that makes people think Christians hate people, and we know that's not true. We're supposed to serve and love people, and, and it confuses the world around us because we're swinging a sword instead of loving and serving people. I don't know. I just look at the story, and it awakens in me this refreshed hope that Okay, Jesus relates to our weaknesses. He had disciples that were messing up, yet they're going to return. And it's going to be this faithful growth of others. I'm just, I, I love the scripture because it encourages us and, uh, and relates to us because none of us are perfect. It continues in verse 54. And it continues to be a bad day for Peter. So he's just chopped off a dude's ear that Jesus heals, which must have been the, this must have been the worst day for Peter and the best day for the high priest's servant who lost his ear, got it put back on his head. He had to have been the most dazed individual. I think if, it, if, if I recall, it's, it's the passion of the Christ that most accurately, I think, depicts that moment of awe that that servant had, just staring at Jesus as he was healed and just shocked. But Jesus heals him, and then this happens. Verse 54, they seized him, they led him away, took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. 
And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. The servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I, uh, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone also saw him and said, "Also, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter said. I just think that's funny. Man, I'm not, man. Uh, anyway, what were they burning in that fire? Okay, moving on. Uh, so verse 59, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Jesus, and just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Thought number three, following Jesus at a distance always leads to regret. I could pick up a story here about any of my kids, honestly. And, uh, but I have to share about Preston, my four-year-old. Uh, the reality is this. He is very adventurous, and whenever you tell him what he's about to do is going to risk his life, he wants to see if it really does, right? You're like, hey, you know, if you jump off that couch next to the hard concrete of the fireplace and miss the pillow, you're really going to get hurt. I know. So he climbs up onto the back of the couch, jumps, misses the pillow, hits his head, and what does he do? The first thing he does, yes, it hurts, and he kind of realizes that. What is the first thing the child does? Looks at dad. Because I just told him not to do it or he's going to get hurt. So he's, and what do I do? I go, you know, I give him that look, right? It's the, I could say, I told you so. I could say, well, there it is. No, I could just run to him and pick him up and like hug him. But first, you got to deliver the, I told you so look, right? So I'm just like, right? And what does he do? He connects eyes with me, buries his head in a pillow and cries for about five minutes. That's pretty much the routine in our house every minute. And so, uh, uh, but that's what Peter does here, right? Peter's like, that's like a really big chicken. Anyway, so, and, and he hears the rooster crow because Jesus said, you'll deny me three times when you hear the rooster crow. The rooster crows and he's like, and he's far enough away, but yet within eyesight of Jesus. And Jesus looks up and gives the, I told you so to Peter. Oh, could you imagine how bad that would hurt to have the Son of God give you the I told you so look? Wow. He's like in chains and stuff. He's bleeding and he's like, and you're just like, holy moly, that one hurt, right? So now Peter follows through with this denial. He said, no, I'll follow you to death, Lord. I'll follow. She's like, nah, you're going to deny me. But here's the deal, Peter. When you return, I don't know how dark your denial of Jesus gets. I don't know if it could get much darker than that. You might feel like, oh, my sin's way too rough or my sin's way too tough for Jesus to... No, he said when you return. There's no 
you're too far away scenario. He loves you. He loves all of us. He prays for us. We cannot get too far away. And maybe you're feeling that look from Jesus today. Or maybe you deserve it. (laughs) You're like, yeah, okay, I'm feeling that one. The heat's coming today, Thad. Conclude service now. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but we, we look at Jesus and, man, maybe we've not followed close enough. Or maybe we, you know, we feel we're afraid to follow too close because it, it, we deny him by sleeping in, or we deny him by not reading our Bible, or we deny him by not praying. I don't know how you are following through with this denial to where you deserve the I told you so look, but he's praying for us, and we need to capture the heart of this. And I want to illustrate it like this to, to close today. I didn't go spend a fortune to uh, buy an actual leash and uh, chain, but I do have this mighty long rope that I want to illustrate something with that I once saw, and it stuck with me to this day. And the reality is, the shorter the leash, the better, the better off we are. And we tend to think the longer the leash, the better off we are. So imagine we're on a leash, right? I didn't want to actually tie it into a noose and fear someone would come and grab the rope. So anyway, you know, so imagine we're in a leash, you know, and, and there's a reason that you don't have the slack. But yet, in life, we want to do exactly the opposite, right? We want to confess Jesus, kind of give him this end of the rope, but we want to keep all the control. And then, you know, we want to adventure our way through life, so we're going to, you know, I want to do this, and I want to come over here, and I want to walk around the keyboard player. Oh, is that your neck? I'm so sorry about that. This is my daughter here, so I wasn't really killing people that I don't love. Uh, so anyway, you know, and then you have, and you're wandering around because you just want to adventure around a platform, but, you know, I won't wander around that guitar too much fear that Danny would kill me. And then, you know, you're wandering around, the, but if all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, come back, I can't just get to him, right? I'm like all tangled up. So you try to get to Jesus when you hear him call and you're like knocking things over and like breaking stuff. But what Jesus would do is if he was holding the leash, is he'll let you out. And the moment you start to get in a place where you're going to get stuck, he's going to give a little tug and pull us back until we go to an open space, and he'll let us go farther. He'll recognize when it's safe, and when we're about to get tangled, he's going to give us that little yank. I think today we need to choose to follow Jesus and just give him the leash. We need to let him hold it. Give him control of our life and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you closely so that it's easy to return when I make a mistake. So when you call, I can run back to you. We need to pursue Jesus closely. We need to pray 
that Jesus would just take control of our life. So I thought it was really cool how Dave referred to that earlier in worship. He's like, just trust in Jesus. And I got a little teary because I just always do. And I'm there going, wow, that's totally the talk. And Dave and I did not have that discussion. He has not seen my notes. That's just how God's Spirit moves. That we need to trust Jesus with our life and give Him control and let Him allow the slack necessary for us to do whatever He has for us to do in this kingdom. We need to surrender to Him. It's interesting. Romans 8.34 tells us this, that Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. That means He's at the right hand of God right now praying for you when you return. Maybe somebody needs to return today. Maybe you need to choose to follow Jesus today. Maybe you have someone in your life that's getting ravaged by temptation and you're going to walk out of here with a deep conviction to pray without falling asleep at the helm of prayer for their life until it turns around. When you return, prayer makes a difference. You and I are being prayed for by Jesus. Sometimes we need to put the skin of Jesus on. We're the only Jesus some people know by the way we connect with them and serve with them and share our life with them. We need to be the Jesus praying for those that are in our life that are struggling. Man, I hope Jesus is waking up some conviction in you, but I'm going to pray for you today as the worship team leads us in just a reflection song. God, I, I pray right now that your word today will come alive in us that it will encourage us to know, even today, even still, you're praying for us. And yeah, we're going to be tempted, but you're going to give us a way out. So whether we're facing temptation right now and we need the strength to find a way out, or whether, Lord, we have those in our life that we love that we want to pray for ourselves so they can experience breakthrough and return to you, I don't know the scenario. There might be some today that have yet to choose to follow you, Jesus, and they're looking at that connection card and they're flipping it over saying, man, I need to choose to follow Jesus today. I pray that they would do that, that they would just give up the leash, that they would let you have control their life, that they would let you guide them and and not allow them to get tangled up in the temptations of this world, but enjoy the vibrance of a close relationship with you. Help us not to follow at such a distance. Help us not to fall asleep at the helm of prayer for those in the world around us because our prayers are serving others. It's making a massive impact beyond what we can see with our eyes. Thank you changing us. Thank you for relating a story after story of failure here so that we can relate because we're not perfect and we mess up, but you're calling us to return. Help us heed that calling today and pursue you with everything we have, completely surrendered. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? 
We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.